Hello everyone, this is Xander Braffel, Director of Marketing Ops at CS2 Marketing with the Forward Thinking Podcast. Joining me today is Joy Martinez, Senior Director of Marketing Ops at CS2. Thank you so much for joining today, Joy. How are you so doing? I'm happy to be here, Xander. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited. Excellent. Uh, you were one of the first people to ping when we were looking for uh, additional guests for the podcast. And I know we had been trying to get something on the books for quite a while. So I'm really excited uh, to have you on today. Um, today, we're talking about something that I think you are very passionate about and also very good, if I say so myself, uh, which is around documentation, training, and enablement. Oh, my. <laughs> um, so, so I'd love to just know, Joy, um, you know, before we jump in, like, what's your background? Uh, you know, why do you think that this is such a passion of yours? Yeah, um, I am very passionate about it. You're right. Um, <laughs> hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, I think, um, I've kind of, uh, fallen in love with like the world of coaching. And so, uh, I'm also a huge learner. So by trade of loving to learn, I also love to teach. Um, and I've had the opportunity to train, um, you know, marketing teams and sales teams and field marketers and um, event marketers and things like that over over my career. And it's always just um, pieces that I love to do. Um, I think that it's such an important role in the organization to continue to try to, you know, train and, and better the employees, um, whether it be through onboarding or one-off trainings or what have you. And um, of course, here at CS2, documentation and, um, you know, documenting things for our clients. Um, but even when I did documentation in-house, um, it's just so important. I've seen so many people, you know, leave and change roles and um, out the door goes all that tribal knowledge and it's scary. <laughs> so um, I'm really um, a big believer in documenting, you know, um, what you're doing, why you're doing it and things like that. And being able to kind of create that, um, that historic piece for the company and be able to use it to make decisions in the future too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, every time that we're starting a project, we we pretty much start by either reviewing existing documentation or kind of creating that current state. Um, so you're always paying the tax, whether or not it's at the end of a project that you have it, you know, bundled up as a complete picture or on the next project that you have to do that involves that specific process or technology. Like you need to understand that current state really clearly uh, to be able to make improvements on it. So um, you know, at the end of the day, like a lot of organizations are moving super fast. And I, I always heard like, we just move too quickly. Documentation is out, out of, out of sync, you know, the moment that it's produced, um, mm -hmm. you know, what would you say toward, toward that? If you, if somebody's feeling like they're in that situation? Yeah. I mean, I can, I can understand their sentiment about, you know, it feeling like it's already outdated the second that it's done, um, especially for startups, like companies that move just at such a fast pace. Um, but if you kind of reframe it as in it's your playbook, um, mm. so it is a living, breathing, moving document. It doesn't have to be uh, like stored in this archive that you never look at and access again unless you forget or really need it or something, right? Like it can actually be an active living, breathing document that you just continue to um, add to and um, almost act as like a, 
um, a change log where you're documenting optimizations over time and why you made those changes and everything you can kind of see from the very start of time, like up until current state, and you just keep adding to it. So if you think of it in that frame of mind, I think it's easier to tackle and um, feel like it's not just something that's going to, you know, sit on your shelf and collect dust and um, be a waste of time because yeah. it's definitely not a waste of time. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can, you know, approach it, but I feel like thinking of it as like your active playbook is probably the best mindset to start with. Yeah. And, and a playbook is such an active kind of analogy, right? Yeah. Documentation just inherently feels, <laughs> feels old school, you know, it's yeah. in a book and I'm never going to touch it, or maybe I'm going to do a revision on it versus a playbook that you're actively adding to as you learn new information or make new changes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, do you have any recommendations on how you can scale out your documentation? So it's not something that you feel like you're having to spend a lot of time maintaining? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, my first tip would just be like, start documenting from the start. Um, and if you've never documented, just start somewhere, like take an active project you're working on and just start documenting. It's a lot easier to do it throughout the process than it is to get done and then be like, oh, what do we do for this project? What it, you know, and trying yeah. to pull it all together, it feels a lot more overwhelming and just like, but if you do it all kind of as you go um, and continue to add to, um, it actually um, makes it a lot easier. Um, I also just suggest having some sort of uh, template in place, um, if you will. So, you know, here I know we do have some different templates in place for sort of like a Word doc, um, but it doesn't have to be a Word doc. It can be literally any format. And I think that's what makes documentation important is that it doesn't matter necessarily exactly how you do it. It's more important that you're just consistently doing it. Yeah. And so maybe one project, uh, a PowerPoint template works better. Maybe you need an Excel workbook for something, or maybe it is a Word doc. Um, maybe it's just um, hopping on um, Loom and recording, you know, a screen share of you walking through something that you just implemented um, a Salesforce flow or, a, you know, new Marketo nurture or something like that. Like just walking through, um, you know, even in a video format can be helpful. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, flow charting, we love flow charts here at CS2. <laughs> um, you know, so whether it's a whimsical or a Miro or a lucid chart or whatever it is, um, you know, just, I guess, um, using the tools that you have available already, um, in, in your org and, um, starting from the beginning. So I usually say every project needs a flowchart and you can start your flowchart at the beginning to kind of help develop your strategy. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you're using it in the beginning to kind of discover and dig in and figure out what's even going on in order to develop that strategy. And then it's also nice to kind of document like an after state, like, you know, here's where we were and now here's where we ended. Um, and so um, just starting with like the basics of just like, let me just map out a flow chart or let me just document current state, you know, my suggestions, what we actually implemented and why, and you know, what that future state looks like. Yeah. Um, so format doesn't really matter as long as you kind of stay consistent with it, I would sure. say is probably 
the bigger point, the bigger um, point. rather than the format. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would absolutely agree with that. And, and I love the point of starting it right away. Like, you know, I, I always, I like a good business requirements document. I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I'm still a fan of those. And I like <laughs> to be able to kind of break something down step-by-step step and understand what it was that we were trying to accomplish and, and how we actually went about doing it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I also like having the visual workflows um, as you're defining yeah. requirements and building out that strategy. I feel like every time that you're, if you're having a meeting about something more than once and you don't have a workflow talking about it and breaking it down into steps, like that's the reason why you keep on talking about it is that you don't have uh, a visual guide to walk you through that process. And every time that you bring in a workflow, your stakeholders thank you because it's like, oh, finally I can see what I think I was seeing. And now I see where the gaps are in my knowledge or in the process itself, right? Yeah, I think that's the biggest point is they can now see it because we may know it in our head and we may uh, be able to see like very technical details, but not everybody and every stakeholder or every department that you're sharing this with is going to necessarily be able to see that or understand that knowledge. So being able to easily visually uh, present that in a visual manner where they can kind of go, oh, okay. And then that flow chart's like, oh, that fits nice in this PowerPoint deck. And we're going to share that, you know, with this team. And it makes it where you've kind of taken your documentation and made it in like a a more shareable social format. Um, So that's why I love a good flowchart. But but really, I mean, the format really doesn't matter as long as you, you know, are consistently doing it and just kind of pick what works for you. Um, Maybe you have like, one kind of master go-to area, almost like a, a library, if you will. Um, I know like some of our clients will have like one master Word document that links to a bunch of other pieces of documentation or a workbook format where it links out to all the, you know, let's say there's like five different documents we created when we we're building a life cycle and we link out to all of those, right? So they yeah. have their library, their go-to um of course, if your company uses something like a Notion or a Guru or like you actually have like a knowledge base tool, um, that's like really amazing. That's like taking it to the next level. Yeah. But um, while those tools are great and they make it easy to search for documentation and search for content, they're definitely not um, necessary. And I wouldn't let not having something like that hold you back from just starting your documentation journey and just using good old Google Drive or something to just, you know, save your files. Absolutely. I mean, as long as it's accessible by people where they're at um, and can help, you know, answer those questions, you're going to be in a really good place. Um, the the last thing that I wanted to talk through on the documentation side is, is I love the idea of recording videos. Um, I do know yeah, that yeah. video is not a solution for everybody. Um, in, in my household, I very much like to watch videos to learn things. My wife, on the other hand, would much rather read. Um, yeah. and, and we have that a lot with stakeholders as well. So I know when, I, when I'm working through documentation, like I think video is a really time efficient way to get something out. And then it's also that thing that you can reference again after 
when you have capacity, you know, maybe it's coming up to, to a, a, a time where people are taking long breaks, you know, maybe that's in the summer, mm -hmm. maybe it's in the winter, but like having that time to just go back to a video and then breaking it down into a reference doc can be really beneficial for other people as well. Um, yeah. And then just like collecting that data, like you say, just having that one master list. I'm, I'm working with a client right now, just kind of pulling together all of the documentation that we've created over the years. And when you really start to put it down onto a spreadsheet, one, you actually know where to find it. And then two, you find, oh, we actually have a lot of documentation. Um, yeah. And it was more about like not knowing where to go for that than it was actually having the document to begin with. Yeah. I think you made a good point about like um, the different ways that people learn, um, which we'll probably touch on in the training in a second here. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, even with documentation, like, you know, if you're thinking about like, how do I make this accessible to all people, like a video might not be accessible to all people, right? Written may not be accessible to all people, but you can definitely um, always turn something written and create a video and you could always take a video and have it transcribed very easily with click of a button there's ai that does it pretty well these days yeah that you don't have to go type it all out so you know um i would say get crafty use the tools that you have and you know automate what you can and you know uh but be doing it consistently and um you know you can just start from somewhere it's better than nothing yeah. <laughs> and then improve and optimize over time no that's so good thank you um that is a good segue into people learning. Uh, one of the other topics that I wanted to talk about today was around training. Um, so just just prime us. Why, why train? Why is it so important to, to involve training as a part of your change management process? Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons that you may need training. Um, this is why the whole world of L&D learning and development departments exist. And there's facilitators and trainers, um, you know, within corporations, um, you know, continued education for sure. Um, you know, there's new things that come up all the time when you think of just what's changed in marketing and, you know, even marketing operations like we it didn't exist however many years ago. Right. Early in my career, it wasn't even like a word or anything that existed. Um, there wasn't a Marketo, there wasn't, you know, these platforms. And so um, I think just staying up with the times and just continuing to, um, you know, educate yourself is one reason. I think too, like onboarding, right? You know, when you're a new employee, you're trying to learn the industry, you're trying to learn your new role, you're trying to learn the new technologies you may be interfacing with. And, um, the companies that do it really right have an awesome onboarding program usually, and that usually includes a lot of training. <laughs> um, also to fill a skills gap, um, or if you have like a, um, a new imp technology implementation, like let's say you're getting ready to, you know, implement a new Salesforce instance or, you know, something like that. I mean, or you're switching from, you know, Part out to Marketo or something like that. Like if you're doing a migration of some sort, um, you are likely going to have internal teams that are going to be greatly affected by those types of decisions and are going to need training to go with that. So yeah. um, just a plethora of reasons of why you would need training. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think oftentimes when we're working on projects, um, you know, we might be bringing on a new life cycle model and it makes so much sense to a marketer because we, we've done it, mm. we've built it out many different ways. 
Um, but it's not always the most familiar to an SDR or a sales rep or, you know, somebody that's not living and breathing in a, in a life mm -hmm. cycle. Um, and, and that can just apply for so many different things. So you take a lot for granted because you have kind of historical knowledge or you have knowledge of the project, but you mm -hmm. have to start at, at the beginning, right? And you have to bring people along and training is obviously one way to do that. Um, do you have any tips on like what good training looks like? Yeah. Um, I mean, to your point, making it relevant for the audience that you're training. Like I have a client right now that is getting, um, they went through a lot of mergers and acquisitions. And so they have, you know, a HubSpot, a Pardot, a couple Marketos, and they're going now into one Marketo instance, a new brand new instance. And so they're finally kind of merging those, those different companies together. And when you have, um, like we just trained, um, their integrated marketing team, we're getting ready to train their campaign services team, which does more of the campaign op execution thing. Um, they they need to understand marketo in a different way and so we had specific training for the different teams because one is very execution how to let me get my hands in marketo very hands-on of you know how do i actually execute this email how do i clone this program how do i you know do xyz and the other one was more conceptual as they build out their marketing strategy and think about what campaigns they're putting into market and understanding how marketo works so that you know they can develop a really strong strategy. So being relevant to your audience is huge. Um, you know, having just like a, I mean, having a single training is okay. It's usually better than no training. But if it's not relevant to the audience, it's going to be, I would say, it's going to be hard for them to absorb all of what they're supposed to be learning and really apply it properly and get enabled on it properly if it's not very specific to them. Um, and they'll probably just going to be like, why are we even taking this training? Right now? <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I did a lot of training with sales teams um, and, and it's just such a different world for an enterprise AE versus an SDR or, oh, sure. you know, even within regions, even within like teams. Right. So I always found it just much more effective to be able to go and meet specifically with X region who reported to the specific regional director because they're more comfortable with each other. They can ask, yeah. ask questions and you can apply that on, on many different teams, right? Whether that's in mm -hmm. your marketing organization and maybe it's just working with your digital demand team and then doing one specific for your events team or, or what have you. Um, mm -hmm. The more comfortable people are with each other, the more willing that they are to ask questions and those questions make the training much more effective. Yeah. And For the sure. questions will be really relevant to their role and responsibilities. So like you said, if you, the sales questions are going to be different than what the SDR has. Yeah. And so you can make it just very laser focused to that particular audience. And it's going to be a lot more effective to their day to day. For sure. Um, so I trained them. We did a, we did a two and a half hour training block. Is my training done? Are they, are they fully onboarded with the, <laughs> with the new change? check we've learned it all we're done <laughs> um you know no i mean i think that's you know I, I know we're gonna kind of like lean into enablement but that's where enablement really comes in because you know they really go hand in hand and that's why you see like trainers and l d departments and then you also see enablement departments go hand in hand at companies right they really do have two separate roles i mean once you're trained on like 
a how-to or like the mechanics behind something, whatever you're learning, um, now you have to actually put it into practice and mm -hmm. you actually have to like implement it or, um, you know, use it in some way. And so that's really heavily where the enablement comes in, where you have, you know, coaches and facilitators that help you actually put it into practice and make it reality. Yeah. And that can come in so many forms, right? Whether it is a new tool, whether it is a new process, maybe it's a new part of the product, you know, mops might not yeah. necessarily be super involved in that, but sometimes we are. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it is really activating um, maybe a new product feature because you're moving to a product led growth strategy, for example, and mm -hmm. having an understanding of that and understanding the why behind it is really key. Um, when you start to think about enablement, is enablement something that you only do at the end of the project? Are there opportunities to bring people along earlier? What do you think about that? So I think, you know, a big piece of starting early in the enablement and carrying it all the way through is because enablement is really about change management, right? And so understanding why are we doing this training? Why are we learning this new thing? Why did we change the process? Why did we get this new piece of technology? What does it do? You know, understanding all the pieces. Um, you know, a lot of times when you're making those bigger decisions, you already have leadership buy-in and you already have like, you know, their understanding, but the day-to-day -day people that it affects, they may not have been part of that process at all and have no idea. So if you don't enable, there's like, how are you gonna do change, change management, right? Um, so it just helps them bring bring them along in the journey and, and be part of the change instead of feeling like the change is happening to them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it reminds me of a, of a ancillary story. I, I had a, a sales leader who came to me and said, you know, Xander, I, I have these people that I interview and they're all excited about change. And then they come into our organization and they really don't like change. And I said, yeah. well, everybody likes change until it's happening to them. So you have to reposition to your question of how do you like change when it happens to you? Because change is really fun when you feel like you're in the, when you feel like you're in the seat, not everybody in an organization can be there, but the more that we can bridge that and get that feedback early and often and make the people a part of the change, they're going to actually accept it much more willingly than they would if it was just, hey, we need to do this new thing because we're bringing in a new tool. That's not yeah. a great reason, right? There's, a, there's, an, there's an underlying reason that you're bringing in that new tool and that's what you have to make sure that they're a part of. Yeah, I think it helps promote like um, finding and getting like somebody, um, like an internal cheerleader outside of like leadership buy-in, right? Because it's very easy to feel like, oh, leadership is just telling us that we need to do this. So, okay, we're doing it. But it's another thing to feel like your peer is supportive of the new process or supportive of the change in some way. And so like, you know, when you're trying to enable, like understanding who those kind of internal cheerleaders are that can help kind of um, socialize the change and um, get people excited about it as well. Um, I find us helpful. So I don't know. Have you ever seen that too? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I think that it's key when you find the people who are like the, the 
unofficial leaders, you know, the, the actual yeah. leaders of the group, the ones that have everybody's <laughs> respect. If you can get them on board, they can help you get that on board with the rest of the team. I've yeah. also found success bringing in some of those detractors, just the people who kind of complain about change whenever it's happening. Um, the more that I've gotten their feedback, one, it usually makes the projects a little bit better because there's usually reasons yeah. why somebody would complain about a change. Um, but, you know, it also gives them, even if it doesn't happen 100% their way, at least they 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 kind of go into the project of almost defending some of those decisions for you um, because they were yeah. a part of it, you know, versus just being the detractor always there. So, yeah, sometimes they just want to be a part of it, right? Yeah. They want to feel like they're even if they're not necessarily like making the decisions, the fact that you heard them out and listened to what they had to say makes a huge difference. I mean, that's just like kind of a basic communication law of the land, right? <laughs> like <laughs> make people feel heard, listen to them, right? Before yeah. speaking. And so um, it's the same when it comes to that, right? Like those complainers, um, may always complain about everything, but even if um, we can't implement all their, you know, ideas or whatever, at least if we've made them feel heard and um, that we've listened to them and taken their, you know, thoughts into consideration, then um, you'll have a lot better chance of, you know, having them actually embrace the change than had you not. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So finding that balance, um, obviously it's going to be easier to work with the cheerleaders of the group. So bring those people on to lift yeah. you up and, you know, bring, make sure that you have a nice balance of, of folks that you are um, taking through the process. Uh, I've, I've also found that it's really helpful if you have like a user acceptance testing phase of a project um, mm -hmm. or, you know, quality assurance or whatever it might be. Um, Hopefully you're you're giving them as close to a finished product as possible, but it gives them the chance to kind of work in the system, highlight things that may be an issue that nobody, a lot of the times you're making decisions with leaders in the group who aren't, you know, in the systems or in the process, um, and they see it differently than their teams would. So mm -hmm. by, by bringing them into that process before launch, it, it can really help uh, through, through that as well. Yeah. I think too for after even like, um, doing, you know, daily or weekly office hours or something with like the key team that, you know, is greatly affected by the new technology or the new process or whatever the change is, um, yes. can be really beneficial because it's like one thing to go through training and feel like, okay, I understand this like conceptually. And then to go, you know, enablement really is like, okay, let me help coach you now. And if you don't have recurring meetings or, you know, ways to be able to get that feedback, back in, I just find that like a weekly office hour or a daily office hour or whatever, something like that is really helpful um, yes. and allows like those coaches to be able to enable and coach on like real life. Like, oh, okay, I ran into this thing. I tried to follow the training and, and, you know, do it this way, but I ran into the stag. Like, can you help me? You know? And it's um, like kind of their, their life preserver of getting like real hands on. Like that's Absolutely. where the real training really comes in. It's <laughs> <Is> like, <laughs> let me actually take what I learned conceptually and apply it. See if I can actually do it. Yeah. Um, that's huge. I, it's the one thing that I really miss about uh, being in house is I loved doing like giant projects and then just sitting in the SDR pod 
when I was in house and we were all working in an office together and like you immediately get the feedback, right? Cause they might not even yeah. know that you're there, but they're all of a sudden going to say like, Oh, X isn't working. And then I can pop up and immediately be there to say what's not working. Let's figure it out together. Those things like were so much fun, you know? And that's yeah. when you really, that's when you really kind of built that trust across the team. Yeah. And that's where it like really matters too, because just because you implemented this big change doesn't mean that, and it can even be a small change, but just because you implemented change period doesn't mean that like, okay, cool. Like we're all trained up. Everything's good. Like everything's going to go smooth. You know, there's going to be snags or there's yes. going to be pieces that you still need to con continue. And it helps you kind of refine your training even for next time or add to your documentation or add a resource that might be helpful that you didn't think of originally. Um, and that, if you don't do that, you know, you're going to miss out on all that potential to, you know, improve as, as you go. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and kind of bringing it full circle, you know, I always find that like quick reference guides or just like those cheat sheets for people can be really helpful as we think about enablement. So you have mm -hmm. all of this information, but, you know, going into going into your trainings and going into the long term enablement, you have to have like, what are the real things that they have to know? And then make that as crystal clear as possible. Cause usually they're getting a lot of information and they'll learn it, but it's going to take over time. So like really build out those guides of this is what's really key for you to know for, in your specific role um, that they can live with and they can have it on their desk or, or wherever it might need to be. Yeah. And I think that's the time that you really can beef up like your FAQ document and yeah. you know, like what real questions are coming in let's create an FAQ. And now we've got that as an additional resource that we didn't have before, because you can only anticipate what's going to happen so much, right? Absolutely. Until you actually, you know, have to go through it. Yeah. Have there been any pitfalls in your experience, things that you that you learn the hard way through either documentation, training or enablement? I think just like the biggest thing is just missing that early enablement. You know, like sometimes I've been a part of training sales teams on a new piece of technology and, you know, marketing purchased it for a reason. They were really excited about it, right? Like we're, we've got it implemented and now it's time to train. And if you don't enable early, the sales team is just, they're not going to use it. They're going to be like, well, why? And it's like, oh, but it has all these great benefits. And, you know, it's really hard to like, sell it later. Like it's so much better to just put that up front. I mean, I know we've talked about it a lot, but um, that right there, I think is like the biggest pitfall is if you just really lack on the enablement side of things. I agree. And just lacking on the why, you know, how many times mm. do you go into something, you know, the why, maybe the few people really know the why, but you kind of forget that. And then, so trying to bring other people along, you bring them along to the what, so they know what to do, but they still don't understand, right. like, how is it any different? What I was doing worked just fine for me. Make sure that they understand what the pain points are that brought you to whatever it is that you might be training or might be changing. Mm -hmm. Make that crystal clear in the documentation. You know, all of our all of our project documents kind of start with the summary of the pain point. So that way, mm -hmm. even two years down the road, you could go back to it and, and understand why did you change how you did industry normalization? 
you always have that to to lean back on to. So that way, yeah. you know, if you change it in the future, you don't revert it and go back to something that actually worked worse, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, because I've seen that actually happen. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, wait a minute, we were here five years ago. But, you know, everybody that had been a part of that is now gone. But you find something and, you know, somebody that's been there longer than that. And they're like, no, we've, we've already been here, done that. And it's like, oh yeah. Like, let's not make that mistake again. Um, I think kind of to your point too, it's like selling the vision uh, because a lot of what you may be training on is only like a small fraction of a bigger thing. And so showing them, you know, uh, digging into the why, but then, the vision around that, you know, um, the why might be really big and this is just one little piece of it. Right. And Oh, by the way, (laughs) over the next two years, we've also got this and this coming, you know, and, and let them see what that vision really looks like can be, um, exciting and also make them feel like they're not out of the loop and like that things are just, again, what we said earlier, like happening to them versus like feeling like they're a part of it. So exactly. Very cool. Uh, any closing thoughts as we, as we start to wrap up? Um, if you haven't started documenting, start documenting. <laughs> <laughs> I think we will hammer that home always. Um, but yeah, if, you know, hopefully this will, you know, help people figure out how to better enable, you know, their own teams, other teams that they're working with. Um, and if you feel like your company is lacking in kind of the training and enablement or documentation areas, like be a leader, stand up, you know, start something. Um, don't be afraid to, you know, get things going and set the bar, um, because, you know, you have to start somewhere and there's no shame in that. So good training is such a great way to get your name in your business and, and be seen as a trusted advisor, you know, by, by putting yourself out there. So, you know, don't wait for somebody to ask you for training. You know what you're working on, you know, what needs to be trained, uh, do what Mm -hmm. you can to make sure that you're in front of that for sure. For sure. Awesome. Well, hey, Joy, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, I think that this was a really great conversation. I know I've learned a lot from you just looking at some of the materials. So uh, I'm really glad that you were the one that kind of raised your hand to talk through this, this topic this week. So thank you so much for joining. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your colleagues and friends. If you need training from somebody, feel free to share it with them as well. Um, Leave us a review. It really does help get the podcast in front of more people. And we very much appreciate it. This was the Forward Thinking Podcast. Thank you, Joy. See you next time.